Glad that you're here. My name's Marianne, if we haven't met yet. And today we are continuing in our series in the book of James. We're going to be looking at James chapter 3, where God reveals to us the power of the tongue. And I think we probably all have tasted that power, for better or for worse. You know, um, when my son Adam was just a little boy, maybe three years old, we were riding in the back seat of our car, and my dad was with us in the back seat, my mom and dad. And Adam looked up at my dad's aging face, and he said, Granddaddy, why do you have so many lines on your face? It's like, oh, kids, you know, they, they just say whatever comes out of their mouths. They say whatever they think. They don't have any filters. They don't have any sense of appropriateness or embarrassment. And actually, I have to confess that I actually have struggled with words, which is a little bit awkward since I spend so much time speaking in public. In fact, I used to work for a construction company years ago, and the guys that I worked with, they actually kept a logbook of all of the mixed metaphors that I used. So I would say things like, I would say things like, like, yeah, well, uh, he's not the... the um, he's not the sharpest cookie in the jar, and instead of tool in the shed. And then I would say, yeah, it's kind of like being up a tree without a paddle, instead of <laughs> creek without a paddle. And then I was probably most famous for saying, yeah, just put your shoulder to the grindstone, instead of, you know, it's nose to the grindstone or shoulder to the wheel. And these guys, they would laugh and laugh at me, and they would write these little what they called Marianisms in this logbook, and it was a big joke. Um, and even to this day, my family, they're always correcting me in what I say. Every time I mispronounce a word, every time I use the wrong word in the wrong sentence, they're correcting me, which is so annoying, you know, when your family corrects you. And, but they say to me, you know, Mom, if we don't correct you, you're going to say these things in public, which I actually do quite frequently, so I'm so sorry. Um, but it's a thing, actually. It's called a malapropism. Malapropism. Do you know what that is? That's when you use the incorrect word in a sentence that sounds like the correct word, but has a completely different meaning. So it makes what you say sound utterly ridiculous. So I could say something like, yeah, you know what? At times, my job can be so monogamous. <laughs> instead of monotonous. <laughs> or there was a line that Archie Bunker, if you know Archie Bunker, was famous for saying, he would say, I'm so glad I'm not an inferior decorator, <laughs> instead of interior decorator. Now, okay, honestly, have any of you made mistakes in what you've said? Have any of you said the wrong thing? Used the wrong word? The thing is, we all make these kinds of mistakes, right? Sometimes we, we speak this way in air because we're just talking too fast. Sometimes we just haven't thought carefully enough about what we want to say. We all make mistakes with our words. But most often, let's be honest, we get into trouble with our words because at the core of our being, we have a heart problem. We have a heart problem. And the mouth reveals the truth of the heart, which is why I think James said to us in chapter 1, verse 19, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he said to us, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
So we're going to pick up today on this idea of the tongue, the power of the tongue, the power of words, the power of our speech, by looking at James chapter 3. So open your Bibles with me, read along as I read the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word to us today. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we want to ask in this moment that you would unlock our hearts to be soft and open to hear from your word. I believe you have a word of wisdom to speak to us today, a very practical word. And so I pray that we would be teachable, that we would be receptive to the speaking of your Holy Spirit. Would you please choose my words, that my words might reflect the truth of your word, and may we hear from you this morning, and may we grow in our spiritual maturity and faith because we've gathered here today around your word. We ask that you would be present in this moment, and we ask it in the fame and the power of Jesus' name. Amen. So James is warning us today about the power of the tongue, and we're going to look at, the, at three different aspects of this power in this passage. So first, we're going to look at the power to direct, and we see that James uses the illustration of the bit and the rudder, to show us about the power of the tongue to direct, and that's in verses one through four, if you're taking notes. In the next section, um, we're gonna look at the power to destroy, and James is gonna use the illustration of fire and a wild animal in verses five through eight. And then lastly, we're gonna look at the power to delight. He's gonna look at, he's gonna use an illustration of living water, of fresh water, of a tree that bears fruit, and we're gonna see that in verses nine through 12. But here is the wisdom that James is gonna give to us today in this passage. This is the wisdom. The mouth speaks the truth of the heart. The mouth speaks the truth of the heart. 
Now, the tongue is a powerful instrument in the human body because with the tongue, we can form words. We can form words that bless and we can form words that curse. Our words can be used for good and they could be used for evil. Will you think with me for just a moment about a recent time when someone spoke words of blessing to you? Somebody said something to you, actually a word of encouragement, a word of affirmation about your character or about your work or your talent or your giftedness. Maybe someone in your life came alongside and spoke a word to you that gave you courage in a time when you really needed it. Yesterday was my birthday and I was so blessed by the words that I received, text messages, emails, phone calls. But best of all was last night we went out to dinner as a family and my, my family went around the table and they just shared words with about how my life has impacted their lives in this past year. That is better than any present, to have the words of people that know you so deeply be words of affirmation and blessing. But I bet we all also have in our heads words that were spoken to us that were painful. Maybe they came from a boss, from a spouse, from a child. You know, words that right now you can pull up that script in your memory like that. And you can rehearse those words over and over again because those words really stung. Because words are so painful, they're so painful. You know, the fact that we are able to speak unlike any other creatures on this earth is because God made people in his image and God speaks. Because God speaks, human beings speak. In fact, God is the originator of words. He spoke the world into existence through words, through his word. In fact, right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God just spoke, and it came to be. God, the Bible tells us God created all things by the power of his word. And do you know that God speaks to himself as well? We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons who have one mind in all things, and they speak to each other with one purpose— in fact, we see that in Genesis 2. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God speaks to himself when God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He goes on and says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then when God created Adam and Eve, God spoke to them about their identity and purpose in the garden. And he gave them the ability to speak back to him in words of praise and adoration, as well as to each other, which got them into trouble. But there was also another creature in the garden who could speak. And his name was Satan. He was the serpent. And his words were aimed at distorting contradicting, twisting the word of God in order to deceive people. He said this in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. He said, the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of that forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So words are important because words can be used in good ways and words can be used in evil ways. Words can convey love and words can condemn with hate, which is why Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. So now James is going to remind us, he's going to... um, tell us that there is no greater responsibility in the whole realm of human speech than that of a preacher or a teacher of God's word. Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, specifically, James is speaking to those who have been called to proclaim the truth of God's word in the church. In the first century, Teachers and preachers were highly esteemed. Go figure, not like today. But in the first century, they were highly esteemed, and they were people of great influence in the Christian community. But not many people in the first century could read, so they couldn't read the scriptures. Not many people received any kind of higher education, so they didn't know or understand theology. And so James is warning his readers that Teaching God's word isn't something that they should aspire to just for the spotlight. Uh, It's actually an entrustment to use a spiritual gift that has been given to the person by God himself for the purpose of building up the body of Christ in faith. And so teachers are accountable to God for how they express the truth of his word. So those who are called to teach the scriptures literally bear an awesome responsibility before the very one who authored all truth. And every time they open their mouths, they're accountable to God not to lie, exaggerate, profane, twist, or distort God's word, distort the scripture. Now I want to say that as you're teaching pastors here at River West, Adam, Christopher, Eric, and myself We all feel the weight of this stewardship every single week. I have to tell you, we go to our knees. We beg God for understanding about his word. We ask him for a sense of wisdom to know what to share. We plead with God every time we come and prepare a message before you to share with you. We believe that God speaks through these times to our body at large. And I think that the reason that James calls teachers to such high accountability is because it's related to the weight of influence that teachers carry. There is an authority in this position that can lead large numbers of people astray if teachers distort God's word for their personal gain. And we have all seen examples of that in modern culture. We've all heard of popular preachers who have manipulated the scriptures in order to swindle their parishioners out of money or in order to um, proclaim their own personal, social, or political agendas. And every time an influential pastor is found out to be hypocritical, that is where, as James has been telling us, faith and works are not congruent, whenever that happens, the fame of Christ is, is diminished in the world. It harms the fame of Christ. Now, right before the pandemic, I had an opportunity to hang out with my friend, um, Pastor Florence. She and her husband, Charles, started the African New Life Ministry in Rwanda. And she told me at that time that the Rwandan government had come in and actually shut down a whole bunch of churches in Rwanda 
because pastors were springing up everywhere and they were starting churches. They didn't have any theological or biblical background and they were actually manipulating the scriptures to get people to give all their money. They were actually preaching a prosperity gospel and they were saying to their people, if you, they pass the basket and they say, if you give us all your money, God is gonna give you back all the more. So the government came in and shut them down and said, you, it is now a law that says you cannot preach in a church unless you are trained by an accredited seminary. So African New Life Ministry has um, a college called the African College of Theology, and we, River West, partners with them to help provide sound biblical and theological training so their pastors can preach the truth of God's word. You see, God will not be mocked, and he will hold preachers and teachers to the highest account for what they proclaim in his name. Now, if you are sighing with relief right now, like, oh, Thank you, Lord, I'm not up there with Marianne right now. (laughs) Let me tell you, the principle still applies to you because it applies to every person who shares the truth of God's word with another person. So when you share Bible stories with your children or grandchildren, when you tell your neighbor or coworker what you're learning in church or what you've learned in Bible study from God's word, when you get on a plane and you fly across the world to do ministry in Rwanda or Egypt or Myanmar or El Salvador, you are responsible for what you communicate about the truth of God's person and God's word to the people that you're sharing with. This principle applies to all of us. And remember, the Great Commission tells us that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. And that means that we need to be faithful to represent God and his word well with every single person that God puts in our path. And then, of course, teachers have to practice what they teach or practice what they preach, or teaching is just hypocrisy, which is what James was telling us in James chapter 1, verse 22, when he said, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. Pastor Christopher talked about this last week as well when he told us how our faith needs to be lived out in our actions. This is what James has been teaching us. How do we put our faith into action? And let me tell you, one of the added complexities about being a teacher of the word of God is the kind of boot camp that God puts, he uses to train up his servants in genuine faith. Only a fellow teacher or preacher really knows the depth of spiritual training that goes on behind the scenes of their lives in order to authenticate the teacher. At times, it is a ruthless call to trust in God and to trust in his word amid unbearable fatigue, and sorrow, and oppression, and criticism, and pain. And I think that's why James is warning people not to aspire to the glamour that they perceive from such a position of influence because it is a big responsibility and it is very costly. Now this year in particular was so challenging for pastors as they were seeking to to teach and lead congregations behind closed doors during the pandemic. And a recent Barna survey has said that, that 30% of pastors around the world have actually quit their jobs. They're like, we didn't sign up for this. So they've just quit. And I'm so grateful for our pastoral team that has really clung to the Lord and endured through this difficult season and grown closer as a result. 
We've learned so much this year about the power of words. All of us have. But especially as pastors, we have learned and felt the pain of things that we have said and things that have been said to us. And even when we try our very, very best, we still misspeak. We still sometimes get it wrong because we're all on a journey of spiritual faith and growth and maturity together, right? We're all in this together. Which is why I think James goes on to say in verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. There was only one perfect man who was able to not sin in his speech or not bridle his body, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the only one. All of us make mistakes in what we say. None of us perfectly have self-control or self-restraint in the areas of speech. Well, then James goes on to help us understand the power of the tongue by comparing it to two very small items, the bit and the rudder. And these are two small items that can wield power to direct something very, very big. So the bit controls the direction of the horse and the rudder is, can, can steer the ship. So look at verse three. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they can obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Okay, so both the bit and the rudder have to overcome very contrary forces. So the bit has to overcome the wild nature of a horse and the rudder has to be able to steer the ship through the wind and the waves. And in the same way, the tongue must fight against the very strong forces of our old nature, which are contrary to our new nature in Christ and are constantly battling with us to lead us into sin. So between the nature of our flesh the pressures of this world, the temptations of the devil, we are continually in a battle to restrain our words, which is especially hard to do when we're fueled with emotion, when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're grief-stricken, when whatever it is, when we're resentful and bitter, that's when it's so hard to control our words. But scripture tells us that it really matters that we control our words, because look at Matthew 15, verse 11. It says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Verses 18 and 19 say, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. No wonder James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James is reminding us that in the same way that an expert horseman can control the full power of his horse with just a bit, and in the same way that a ship captain can steer that ship through the wind and waves with just a rudder, so also our small tongues have the power to direct our entire lives either for blessing as an indispensable tool or for destruction as a weapon of pain. And the truth is, we need Jesus to control our speech. You know, when 
the Holy Spirit helps us bridle our speech, then we're able to control our whole bodies. Can you think of a recent time when things might have turned out totally differently if in a heated moment you would have submitted your heart, yourself to the Lord for wisdom instead of just blurted out what came out of your mouth? Maybe it was in an argument with your spouse. Maybe it was a word of sarcasm at work, a harsh word with a teenager, an irritable expression with a toddler. Maybe it was an exclamation to a fellow driver. You know, it's these times when there's emotion and our words just burst out and they create so much pain. And why is it that we feel like we can just say whatever flits across our minds as if it's in the spirit of being my authentic self? You know, if I feel it, I should say it. Well, maybe my authentic self isn't sanctified enough to say that thing. Because once things leave our mouths, they create pain and hurt and division and brokenness. Well, next, James is going to compare the power of the tongue to that which destroys fire and an animal. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You and I know very well that it only takes a spark to start a wildfire. On July 6th at 1.42 p.m., a strike of lightning started the bootleg fire in Southern Oregon. And in the last three weeks, this fire has become the biggest fire in the nation. 161 homes have been burned, 247 outbuildings have been burned, 413, 545 acres as of last night have been burned, farmland has been scorched, cattle have been killed, horses have been killed, wildlife has been killed. It's one strike, one spark, and a whole area of land is ablaze. And in the same way, our tongues, our words can start fires. This can happen in a church where, where criticism and complaining can divide people. And we know this firsthand in this past year. It takes one person to disparage a pastor or a church policy, and an entire community group leaves the church. Now granted, we have legitimately wrestled through some really, really tough situations this last year, and we've had to navigate some really burning questions. We have. For example, what does the Bible say about obeying your government in regard to COVID protocol? Tough question. What does the gospel say about racial equality in light of the George Floyd murder? Tough question. What does the Bible say about whether a qualified woman pastor can proclaim the scripture in the general congregation? Tough question. And for all of these hot topics, there has been a lot of prayer, thoughtful conversation, deep consideration of the scriptures that the pastors, the elders, 
and many of you have engaged in in this last year. But for a few people, these topics have ignited a firestorm of controversy that have set an entire community group, Bible study, or house church ablaze. And I know that in many of your families, you have also experienced this because I've heard stories of your families. I've heard stories of of the fracturing that's happened around dinner table debates over things like like politics and COVID, where where things were said to one another that fueled deep divisions between adults and adult children. And words can set the relational dynamic of a family on fire. We've experienced that this year. And I want you to notice in scripture how James connects this kind of fire with the tongue. He connects it with hell. He's saying, this is so serious. In fact, the word hell in the original Greek is the word Gehenna. And anybody who's familiar with the city of Jerusalem in the first century knows that Gehenna refers to the Valley of Hinnom. So if you're in the city of Jerusalem, there's a valley that runs down the south. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. And that is where everybody took their filth and their garbage and they set it on fire. So it was this putrid smell and this disgusting smoke and everybody knew that is like the first century garbage dump. And so in essence, this is what James is saying to his readers. He's saying, you know that stinky, smoldering trash dump just south of town? He's saying our tongues are like that. And when we start our uncontrolled blathering, the garbage in our hearts is set ablaze. And you know that putrid smoke that you smell in the air? Our tongues let everyone hear the wickedness of our hearts. And then he goes on to say, because our tongues are so dangerous, it's difficult, they're difficult to tame, even more difficult than a wild animal. Look at verse seven. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He does not mince words here at all. He just tells us like it is. My brother um, trains Bengal tigers. He is a professional illusionist, and so he uses Bengal tigers in his show. And I can tell you, he uses them for his illusions, but he also raises awareness for tiger conservation around the world. But I can tell you that these tigers are so dangerous they could potentially kill and maim a person under the right circumstances. But Jay has invested years and years of his life into taming them, bringing them into his home, into his feline family. Now, James is telling us that it's easier to tame a tiger than it is to tame our tongues. It's easier to tame a tiger than it is to tame our tongues. Literally, he's telling us that the human tongue is like a beast that can't tame itself. It can't tame itself. No one can subdue their own sinful speech by their own power because the tongue reveals the truth of the heart and no one can sanctify their souls by their own power. But through a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's power goes to work in and through you. The presence of the Holy, his indwelling Holy Spirit goes to work in and through you to transform the the condition of your heart and thus control your tongue. And the truth is, we need Jesus to tame our tongues. We need Jesus to tame our tongues. 
our wild tongues can only be subdued by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who changes our hearts. And when our hearts are changed, our speech is changed. Our thoughts are changed. Our desires are changed. When all of that is changed, then what comes out of our mouth is very, very different. And the good news is that animals actually can be tamed to be productive. They, horses, can be tamed to be ridden. Oxen can be tamed to pull plows. Dogs can be tamed to guide the blind. I have a brand new golden retriever puppy. I've had her for one week. She's nine weeks old. I'm training her to be a canine chaplain so that she can work and comfort people at River West Church. You will meet her. Dogs, animals can be tamed. And the good news is that fire can be contained and controlled so that it is actually a, generates power rather than destruction. And in the same way, by God's power, through his indwelling Holy Spirit, God can transform the desires of our hearts and change what comes out of our mouths. But we participate with God in that. We participate by, in the sanctifying process by inviting him to help us by surrendering ourselves to him, by yielding ourselves to him, and consciously exercising self-restraint. Have you ever asked for God's help in this area of your life? Have you ever asked him, Lord, help me with what comes out of my mouth? Have you ever prayed before you've gone into a crucial conversation and experienced God guiding that conversation so differently because you invited his help into that difficult situation. Well, lastly, James explains how our words can flow with goodness when our hearts are filled with grace. Look at verse 9. He said, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. I don't know about you, but I hate the fact that this is true. Have you ever been in your car just, just singing praise to God, worship music, and then some driver cuts you off and instantly what's coming out of your mouth is no longer praise? You're laughing because you've done it. Or have you ever been at church praising God, singing to his praises, and then on the way home in the car, start to criticize the message, you didn't like the worship songs, you didn't really like the person sitting next to you, and pretty soon that whole thing turns around. I hate the fact that we do this. We are such duplicitous people. We are disintegrated, right? Which means we're not integrated. We can praise God with our words in one moment, and then we can disparage someone who's made in the likeness of God in the next moment. And James is saying, don't do this. He says, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James is using the metaphor of water, and he, he's telling us that just as water is life-giving to the human soul, words that are of goodness and blessing are life-giving to human relationships. So we're, we cannot survive without water. We need to drink water, we need to bathe with water, we need to cook with water, we need to clean with water. And in the same way, relationships don't survive without words of love and blessing. Um, we need these words for refreshment, for cleansing, for health in our relationships. 
You know, Jesus speaks these kinds of words to us. He tells us that in John chapter 6, verse 63, when he says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that Jesus speaks are life to us. They're like living water, fresh and living water. So with our tongues, we can bless people with life-giving words of encouragement. And I want to share with you 12 words that are the words that you can use most frequently to bless people. Please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm praying for you. And of course, all those words need to be followed with a true intention of the heart. Please, thank you, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm praying for you. Think of the opportunities that you have as a parent or grandparent to say these words to your children, to model this kind of language, to bless the people, to be polite to the people around you, to express love to the people you love, to sincerely pray for the people who, who come into your life. And then James says that like a tree, okay, so like a tree that must be deeply rooted in order to be healthy and bear fruit, he's saying that we also must be deeply rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to speak words of life and health to other people. So basically, James is saying you can't fake it because nature produces after its own kind. So what comes out of your mouth will reveal the condition of your heart. The fruit that's born on your tree will be reflective of the kind of tree you are. But if we are tethered to the Lord Jesus and we are submitted to his lordship, then what flows out of the fountain of our mouths will be living water, will be words of blessing and affirmation and encouragement. And the fruit that we bear by our actions will be evidence of who we truly are in Christ. But the truth is, we need Jesus to change our hearts. Our words are just an indication of our true spiritual condition. And when sinful words spring out of our mouth, it's an indication that our hearts are calloused or they're crusty and we need Jesus to change our hearts. But I'm so grateful that God didn't leave us there. Let's go back to Genesis for just a moment. Yes, it's true. God spoke the world into existence. Yes, it's true that Satan spoke and led the first human beings into a fallen state of sin. But then God spoke again, and he spoke words of redemption and promise. In Genesis 3.15, God promised that he would send a savior into the world to redeem the fallen state of man. And Jesus Christ is that savior. He is the redeemer. He is the promised one. He is the logos. He is the word. He is the word made manifest in human flesh. And he is the gospel good news that invites us into a life that has been redeemed from the power of sin and death. And by his power, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom we receive the moment we agree with who Jesus is and receive him as our savior, by that power, our tongues can be tamed because our hearts are forever changed by his saving grace. Isn't that incredible?